Welcome back to Finnegan's Take. This is Conversation 10, and it's the story of Jerry's brother, John, who allegedly commits suicide at his girlfriend's house. The problem is, his girlfriend is a Chicago cop, and John used her gun to shoot himself. Jerry is awoken in the middle of the night to come to the scene and quickly suspects a police cover-up is in motion and the story of John's suicide might not be accurate. John was my youngest brother, and he was also a child of my mom and dad. John was a union electrician, and he had two sons himself. He'd been separated from his wife. He'd lived in Las Vegas and then came back to Chicago when they had a separation. Easy-going guy, uh, not a big guy. A solid, though, solid kid. Played high school football and wrestled in high school. You know, he kept in good shape. He was uh, pretty outgoing. Had a great personality, funny. Not an aggressive person. Went along with everybody. He came back here. One of my partners was friends with a woman police officer. Miriam Hamad is her name. They began dating. Kind of a tough relationship. What year are we here? He comes back in 96. She was a police officer in the 11th district, a little hot-tempered. I don't know if she had to have that persona that she was tough because she was a police officer. She was aggressive, a tumultuous relationship. They had their falling outs quite often. She had her own house. So he spent a lot of time with her. My father passed away in May. John passed away the same month. And the circumstances surrounding that were... Him and Mary were out on Division Street at a bar called Allegra. They got an argument. My brother had talked to another girl in there. Predating that, he had done the same at a bar that I was working off duty at up on Fullerton Avenue. And she came in there where she was working and punched him in his face. And I threw her out of the bar because I was working the door with two other guys. Did you witness this? Yes. So yes. your brother is in this bar. Mm -hmm. You're working there off duty. She comes in. In uniform, working. No, no, no. She, she, she's assigned to, uh, at that time, narcotics section. She was wearing regular clothes. But on duty? Yeah, she was on duty. She didn't have her gun exposed that she was in narcotics. So she had a take-home car, which was a covert vehicle. They, you either took home an unmarked car or a covert vehicle, depending on what your capacity was in that unit. I didn't pay attention. She just brushed by me, walked into the bar, and walked up. She was talking to two girls there, friendly conversation, not standing on top of them or anything. And she just turned him by his shoulder and punched him right in the face. And I went and grabbed her by her neck and threw her out. I told her, I said, what the fuck is your problem? She's like, fuck him and this and that, calling the girls names. And my brother was laughing. He just said, he goes, she's a nut, man. And he goes, Jesus Christ, dude. He says, I wasn't my arm around them. He says, I was just talking to them. I was standing at the bar and they were sitting next to me. And then another occasion, I had an argument with him at her house. My brother called me and she fired her gun at him in the bathroom into the wall. I had a conversation with her about that over. I said, what the fuck is wrong with you? I said, if you can't control your alcohol and you're drinking, you guys are arguing, then you really need to, to go on your separate ways. When you fired your gun on duty, it was a very serious incident. Your big investigation, depending on what the circumstances were. If there was alcohol involved. You were going to take a big, heavy suspension, possibly lose your position as a police officer. I'm sure alcohol came into play that evening. She fired a gun in his direction in the bathroom and into the wall. And I told him, I said, it's, it's time for you guys to move on. 
And I told him specifically, I said, John, you got to get away from her this fight abroad. She's got some issues. Other than you, were the police called to the residence? No, no, absolutely not. So your brother's first call is to you. Yeah, he just told me. And this wasn't right away. Like an hour transpired since the incident. He called me and told me what happened. I don't know if she stepped out or went somewhere, but he told me what happened. I said, John, get the fuck out of the house. He goes, no, it's over. You know, it's it's already, it's over. And I said, John, come on, you, you can't stay there. She's going to shoot her fucking gun in the house in your direction. You cannot stay there. We go down the road a little bit time-wise, and my father passed away May 3rd of 1999. My brother, John, and, and all of us were at the uh, wake, and she came there. They supposedly had broken up, but she came there anyway. So we were all going to dinner afterwards because it was late. And we told my brother, John, just come with us. Let her go on her way. But he ended up going to dinner with her somewhere. And approximately 27 days later, on the 30th of May, I was awakened from my sleep with a phone call, ringing my phone at about 3 o'clock in the morning. I said hello. And on the other end, the guy said, is this Finnegan, Officer Finnegan? And I said, yeah, who is this? And he said, this is Officer so-and-so. I can't remember the kid's name. He says, I'm beat 16, whatever he was. Listen, he says, you had a brother, John? And I said, I had a brother, John? I said, what, what do you say? Is my brother okay? And he said, well, he's not okay. And I said, is he dead? And he said, yeah, he's dead. So this is how the kid tells me over the phone. And I'm like, what the fuck, you know? So I'm like, what happened? He goes, well, supposedly he shot himself, but I don't know what the circumstances are here. We're still trying to get to the bottom of it. And I said, well, where is he? And he told me he was at Hamad's house. I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to come up there. Was that a surprise to you that he was with her still? Uh, it was because he told her he was going to go back to his wife in Las Vegas. That was a problem. Told him that was the best thing for him is to get away from her, but did not take my advice. So I called my partner and he picked me up and then I started making phone calls telling my family. I was the first one up there, and then my brothers and sisters, then my mother came, arriving on the scene up there, and my brother was still on the scene. They were doing an investigation, and I saw Phil Klein. He was the commander of narcotics at the time. He really didn't come up to me initially, which I thought was a little strange, in light of my brother being deceased in the house and a police officer being involved. He didn't come up and offer condolences or anything. Why do you think that was? Uh, she worked for him. She had worked in 11 for him on the tag team. Was it abnormal for him to be there? No, he was her commanding officer, and one of his people was involved in a fatality shooting or possibly a suicide on her premises, so he had an obligation to be there. And I didn't see anything else besides him, boss-wise, except a few sergeants from the district. There were two women that worked, were friends of hers, and I heard Klein tell him to go in and clean up after my brother was removed. They took my brother out of there and then transported him to the medical examiner's office. I, I kind of folded up on some of this stuff. For one, the sergeant who was handling the investigation from internal affairs, because I made a complaint because she said my brother's car was taken off her property. She didn't know what happened to it. So I reported it stolen. The car wasn't worth much, but it belonged to my brother, and I didn't want her to have it. So I reported the car stolen. The 
16th district notified me probably like a month later that the car was in her driveway. I don't know if she had it in the garage that night or what, but so I got a complaint on her. The sergeant that was handling the investigation was Jeanette Walsh and Jeannie Walsh. I knew her from the 7th district as a sergeant. Very nice lady. I went down and spoke to her and she showed me some of the file. Hamad had never initially called the fire department nor the police to report that my brother was shot. She made some calls to her father, who was a suburban police officer, and spoke to him twice for like a half hour. And then she notified the fire department and the police. So she sought his advice before she notified fire and police departments. My brother had passed away already. So she was speaking to her dad about all the circumstances, I guess. It was in black and white, the phone conversations, uh, because the sergeant showed me. She said my brother took her gun off the table and played Russian roulette with it. Neil, my brother was never depressed, but that's not possible. And that night that he died, they were out on Division Street, like I started the conversation, at a bar called The Weight Room. And the same thing happened. Big blowout. Uh, she was highly jealous and spoke to another girl there. And they got into a physical altercation and were told to leave the bar. She struck him a couple times. When we went up to her house before my brother was removed, this is just observations made by me, but her car was jerked up onto the curb. Tail end of the car was sticking out into the street. And my brother's car, because they had driven in separate cars, his car, because they met down there, was perfectly aligned with the curb. I spoke to her sister and asked her about the circumstances. And she said that she went out for more beer. And then when she came back, my brother had shot himself. And I said, what time did you go out to get more beer? And she said, it was like 4 o'clock. Where's her liquor place open at 4 o'clock in the morning? And she didn't really want to say anything. So she didn't answer any questions I was asking her. Miriam, you were asking questions too, or her sister? No, her sister, Samantha, yeah. No, Miriam, she never came out of the house. She was in the house the whole time with the police when they were investigating it, my brother there. And then she went to Area 5. I also went over there with my partner, Jim, drove over there. And she would not answer questions. And then she ended up checking herself into a mental facility, dragged out the investigation because they couldn't question her why she was under psychiatric treatment. So I ended up, you know, following through with it. She got a suspension. That was the extent of it. The bottom line was she never cooperated with the police department on the circumstances uh, surrounding my brother's death. The worst thing about it was that she went to the police board. I tried to get her fired for the car and not securing her weapon in the house, which I don't believe that my brother killed himself. Totally believe that she shot him. It's two people in the house with no other witnesses. Her sister was present, mm-hmm. not when supposedly your brother killed himself, but she was in the residence when the gun went off? She denied it. She said she went out for a beer, but it was like four o'clock in the morning. So you know, it's kind of hard to believe that story. So the sister went out to get beer when your brother supposedly killed himself, but Miriam was still in the apartment. In the house, yes. Yeah, sorry, in the house. Yep. So let me wind back for a second. When you get this call that wakes you up and you find out that your brother's dead, are you instantly suspicious because he's at her residence? Well, I was. I mean, I heard her screaming in the back during the call with the copper. I wasn't there. 
dead men can't talk. So my brother couldn't tell his side of the story. But I thought it was awful suspicious that she did not call the fire or police department right away, that she called her father. So like I said, I mean, it was hard. Uh, the evidence technician, I think he was the crime, as a matter of fact, he was a crime lab that night. I knew his brother. He told me that she made sure she put her hands on my brother's head. It had a gaping hole in it because they were not able to take GSR, which is gunshot residue, tests on her hand to see if her hand contained gunpowder residue. Her hands were spoiled because they had blood on them, and she was not able to be tested to see if she fired the gun. You were not going to put your hands on somebody's head. They've got a hole. And unfortunately, I saw my brother because I went to see him at the funeral home. I was a policeman. As much as I hated to look at him like that, I looked at him. And there's no way she could have stopped the blood from coming out of his head. So it's hard to, to make an allegation. She just got blood on her hands to cover herself. But that's my belief. When you show up at her house and you said Klein indicated to technicians there to clean up the place, is he acting as though this is not a potential murder investigation and it's a suicide? Apparently he had made that determination without any investigation being performed at the time, just by seeing my brother, which anybody can say uh, he shot himself in the head if it's two people. I had talked to my brother that morning, as a matter of fact, asked what was going on, you know, just BSing, and, and he just told me, he said, if you're not doing anything, well, let's, have, let's have a drink. And someone who's going to kill herself, uh, they just don't come across like that, I don't think. The investigation was hampered by the fact that she checked herself into a psychiatric facility. The detectives were not really able to interview her. The watch commander, the lieutenant that night, Wayne Weiberg, she had worked for him when he was a sergeant. The whole thing kind of sucked. Really wasn't the investigation, I don't think, was able to be completed because of the fact that she didn't cooperate for quite a while. She refused to be questioned that night. Did she ever end up being confronted and questioned? I don't know, Neil. I don't know because she was in a medical facility for a while, for at least a couple of weeks. I don't believe they were able to talk to her while she was in there. At your brother's funeral, did she attend? Did she talk to you or your mother or your siblings or send condolences or engage in a sympathetic way with your family? Uh, no. And Neil, I truly don't believe she even came to the wake. I was distraught because he's my brother, but I do not recall seeing her there. All the stuff your family's been through and your poor mother with the death of your other brother and then this incident, this is another example of, I guess you'd say, the incestuous nature of the Chicago Police Department. Do you feel like the fix was in, so to speak, and people were turning a blind eye? I do for the simple fact that other police officers who have been involved in people who have killed themselves with that officer's gun. There was a guy who made sergeant out of special operations, Steve, I can't remember his last name, but it'll come to me. And the same thing, he picked up a girl at a bar and they went back to her apartment. They had sex. He went in the bathroom, the story goes, and heard a gunshot. He came out, the woman had committed suicide. They fired him for not securing his weapon. I want to pause here a moment and discuss this case 
of Steve Lesnar, who was a sergeant. This is an article from Courthouse News Service. The headline is Chicago Cop Rightly Fired After Woman Suicide. And I'm reading now from the article. A Chicago police officer was properly fired for spending time with a domestic violence victim who later picked up his gun and killed herself, the Illinois Appellate Court ruled. Sergeant Stephen Lesnar responded to a domestic violence call from Catherine Weiland and her boyfriend at Northside Restaurant. Essentially what happened is Lesnar ended up going to this woman's residence. They may have had some personal interaction. Lesnar went to the bathroom and this woman uses his gun to kill herself. Lesnar is, of course, removed from the police department. Back to the conversation. Two or three instances where police officers were fired right around that same time by the superintendent who sought their discharge and and was successful for not securing their weapons. But miraculously, she did not lose her job for not securing her weapon and someone supposedly killing herself with it. Why is that? Because this is slam dunk removal under any conditions. I don't know either, but I mean, she went on to become a sergeant. She was promoted to, to become a sergeant and it's currently working on the north side. And to this day, as we're talking here in 2023, this woman who's a member of the Chicago Police Department in a elevated position, she's a sergeant, has never called you, called your mother, your mother's deceased now, but never made an attempt to communicate with anyone in your family about no being there at the death of your brother. Never. Never. Her hiding my brother's car, her not calling the fire or police department after my brother was shot, calling her father for lengthy conversations. I don't understand that. One of the biggest things, too, is a rule that you have to render aid to somebody as a police officer. If that's picking up the phone and calling 911 to get the fire department. That's what I was going to say. Rendering aid is even if you feel like all hope is lost, you dial 911. That's right. in In the very least, that you have to do is call 911, whether it's to summon the police to assist, to render aid, or the fire department. And she did neither initially. So I don't know who covered for her, but she was able to escape the whole incident, retain her position as a police officer, and then be promoted. I see her case here that went in front of the Chicago Police Board, and it's rather detailed, so I'm not going to read it all in the moment. Were these issues brought up? To the board? Did you have an opportunity to walk through these things and explain yourself? No. I only appeared in front of the board for the car incident, not for the death of my brother, because no charges were brought against her for that. And let's talk about the car. What's the point of lying about the car? Was it for money? And Neil, the car had a nominal amount of value. The older car, he kept some tools in there for his work and some golf clubs. Why she would take the car, I don't know. When I was alerted to the fact by a 16th District officer that car, it might have been the same kid that had responded that night, I, I don't know, to my brother's death. But I was called when I was working on the street one day to, to switch over to Zone 1 and speak to beat 16 such and such. And I did, and he told me the car was in the, in the driveway at that address. I called him on the phone, and he told me, he says, hey, your brother's car's up there. I just saw it. I had a tote to my house. You know, just odd. The whole circumstances were odd. Able to check herself into a psychiatric hospital, not be questioned, not be charged with anything, including violation of the rules for not securing a weapon, which resulted in my brother's death. 
whether she killed him or he killed himself. That should have been something that she had to answer for and never did. I want to pause here and talk in further detail about Miriam Hamad and read from some documentation that is readily available online from the Chicago Police Department and other sources, and I'll link to those. But ultimately, Miriam Hamad is suspended for 10 months. She's charged with violating seven rules on 20 counts. There's one document, title is, Before the Police Board of the City of Chicago in the matter of charges filed against police officer Miriam Hamad. This is a findings and decision document. What I find interesting is that she is found not guilty in regard to her service weapon being used in a death. Again, did John Finnegan commit suicide with her weapon? Of course he did. We know this as a fact, but the city of Chicago and the police department determined there isn't enough information to prove this. That is strange. She is suspended for, again, the forging of these documents. There's a bit that I think is worth reading because it burrows into the details of her behavior around this vehicle. More to the point, in the superintendent's attorney, in closing argument in the 2006 hearing, specifically said Officer Hamad's forgery was unlawful conduct leading to possessions of the title documents. And there's a very interesting paragraph here that the lawyer speaks to the fact of her forgery and her illegal behavior, which she is ultimately suspended for. Again, I will link to these documents. Let's go back to the conversation. She had a relationship with Klein as far as working for him, and I don't know if that that helped her out. I really don't. Does this leave a further bad taste in your mouth about the police department? I know it's a weird question to ask because you're obviously employed by the Chicago Police Department, but your other brother was killed. There was certainly some shenanigans around his death. Then this happens, and I know it's some years after. Do these two things at all connect in your mind, or is it just another tragic hurdle that you've got to just move through? It, it affected me, Neil. I'm not going to lie. It affected me. I mean, I drank heavily afterwards for quite a while. The simple fact that you see what, what can be done if you know the right people, whether it's with the police department or whether it's politicians or whether it's in a court system, I don't think there's anybody that can't reach out and help somebody out in this city. That's the way it is, and that's the way it's always been here. I don't think it'll ever change. It, it just uh, it surprises me, the outcome of this, that she never faced any serious suspensions or anything when someone lost her life. In reading this document a little bit further, it's before the, it's the title that is before the police board of the city of Chicago in the matter of charges filed against police officer Miriam Hamad. Have you read this? I don't think I have. They try to drag your issues into her defense, as though somehow what you've been through and your conviction is prejudicial, specifically the stealing of this car. At this point in your career and at this moment of your brother's death and the shadiness around it and the the way the police handle it, do you have an opinion about the police department at this point in your career? This is Chicago. It's just like any other big city. It's just political, like any other big city. There was a guy who worked in special operations. His case was in the newspaper where he was stopping intoxicated females 
this guy, why he was working, he was engaging with these females, taking pictures, having them pull their panties down, putting his fingers inside of them. And there were a number of allegations against him. He was stripped, which means his police powers were taken away. Miraculously, he beat the charges and was given back pay, placed back in his full capacity as a police sergeant. Just what happens, his mother was a deputy chief, police department. So anything can happen, man. When these events start to unravel around your brother's death, are you thinking, here we go again? Or now I'm going to be stuck in this mousetrap? I'm, I'm not going to tell you that I wasn't disappointed. And I thought it's pretty much you can do anything. And not relating to like what I myself and what I did. I'm saying pretty much you can do anything here and get away with it if you have the right connections. So I kind of figured, fuck it. If you know somebody, they're not going to hurt you and you're not going to lose your job. If you don't know anything or know anybody, I mean, you're going to lose your job. What did this do to your, I'm sure your mother's just devastated. She loses another child in a tragic way. Your father dies that same... 27 days apart, yeah, I was a punch in the gut for us, to tell you that. I never thought I'd bury my dad and my brother in the same month, in the same year. Yeah, it's something you can't fathom, really. Uh, but try to, for lack of a better term, suck it up, man, and move on. You got to stay strong, and, you know, that's what I tried to do, but I'm a lot of solace in drinking, you know, drinking and driving home drunk drinking to the point where people would tell me just go home now it was difficult that one went on for a couple of years and is this a catalyst to your unraveling or dominoes that start to fall towards you getting indicted are there is there any correlation between i don't know neil thought about that i i, I had 10 years to sit there and think about that and i'm not going to say it didn't wear on me mentally played it over and over john was my youngest brother definitely took a toll on me drank uh, instead of doing worse, you know, and, uh, you know, turning the drugs to blur it, you know, mentally people say it gets easier. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, now it's been quite a, quite a few years now. So maybe it's a little easier now. I mean, for 10, 15 years, it went on and on. There were good days and bad days. Does this event act as a catalyst for you to further say, fuck, everyone's doing something shady. The police department's corrupt. The whole city's corrupt. Does all this kind of compound to a place where you really don't give a fuck? In the sense you're like, I'm going to just keep working to put the bad guys away, but fuck some of these rules. I'm going to get some of mine. I'm going to get some of this money. I'm going to kick doors down. Build up this callousness where you're just kind of really don't give a shit anymore. And it's, I'm getting mine because clearly they're letting people get away with murder or other things that are really nasty and I'm going to go do what I want to do. Well, I can say in a sense, I, I was a lot more reckless because of my brother, Bill and my brother, John, nothing happened with their deaths. Kind of didn't give a fuck about a lot of things. But do you build up this animosity towards the department that you're working for? I knew at one point or another, I was not going to get any promotions. I think I was sour about that. And I said to myself, I said, I'm out here fucking doing all this. My bosses are telling me, oh, good job, all this bullshit. But truly, I was fucking killing myself career-wise. And I just don't think, after a while, I just said there was like, you know, fucking, it's, it's never going to change. 
when I did my proffer with the U.S. Attorney's Office, I kind of said that I kind of got negative and sour about not getting promoted with the the complaints and stuff. And uh, my activity was good, but that activity led me to get those complaints and it ruined my career. So I don't know, in a sense, I guess I didn't give a fuck anymore. Deep down, maybe I took some risks I shouldn't have and did the legal things that I shouldn't have done. And it probably just ballooned from there. I sought out some help talking to police psychiatrists. After I had actually the one shooting and when my brother passed away, I sought him out again because I was having some problems emotionally with it. The gentleman that saw me was a great guy. I, I think he helped me, but I was depressed and I fell in the woods pretty good amount of depression. Both your brothers are killed. You've got a governor on your career. You know you are not getting above a certain place. And you're really good at your job. But being really good at your job is not a good thing, as you've indicated. Because you're at the service of your boss, who gets the accolades and the upward trajectory for the numbers that you're providing getting guns off the street, stopping bad guys, had an amazing clip. But you're like a fucking tire that the tread just gets worn down on. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a bit of an analogy. So why do you think Marion Hamad got a slap on the wrist? She had a 10-month suspension. It was for forging the documents related to your brother's vehicle. Why didn't she get a stiffer punishment? I think so, Klein. Had, I mean, even though he saw her dismissal on, on the car. Could have been Wayne Weinberg, too. He was a lieutenant, and then he became a commander. Who knows, man? You know, the fucking police department is rife with corruption, too. This fucking city, it's just like everything. New York, Boston, they're all fucking corrupt, man. This concludes Conversation 10. Miriam Hamad remains an employee of the Chicago Police Department. Our next conversation is the beginning of the end of SOS and Jerry's career. But was there a single event that started the investigation that leads to his indictment? There may have been a few, but let's start at the insurance scam. SOS member John Brzezinski is transferred to an FBI special task force and gets issued a car. So what does John do with his personal car? Well, of course, he reports it stolen so he can collect on the insurance. But where does he hide his car? Well, you have to hear it to believe it. Stay with us for Conversation 11. And thanks as always for listening.